Steve, when you took over, you said the time frame of winning a championship was yeah. three to five years. I can say, I wish. I, this is year three. That up to me, you know. <laughs> this is year three. Is that yeah. goal still realistic? Um, listen, it, it's always possible, right? I mean, you never know, right? I mean, once you get it, if you can get into the playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, winning a World Series is really hard. I mean, 29 teams lose, one team wins. And, um, um, but, you know, the, the goal is to put yourself in position for good things to happen. I mean, that's the goal, okay? And, and uh, I've been bridging that as our farm system, as we rejigger our farm system. I mean, I came in. I mean, no pitching. Um, a lot of the tools weren't there. Um, and, and um, you know, these things take time. To develop talent takes time. I mean, I wish it was faster. Uh, I'm used to it in my own hedge fund. And, and you know, analysts that come in uh, as junior analysts in my hedge fund sometimes take six, seven years before they become PMs, portfolio managers. And developing talent's hard. You know, it's not easy. We're all competing for the best talent. And, and um, so, um, so, you know, it requires a little patience and, and then my will and willingness to spend the Bridget. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, July the 2nd, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcast or service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram. Talking Mets, no G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. Happy Sunday to all of you. Happy early 4th of July. I come to you. You won't hear too much from me. No big State of the Union. I think I got a lot of my thoughts out the other day after the Steve Cohen press conference as we addressed a myriad of issues with this very disappointing Mets team. We're going to put the big league team on the back burner. Game later tonight, Sunday Night Baseball, Mets and Giants, and then they go on a, I guess you would call it uh southwest-west road trip to Phoenix and San Diego, and then it's the All-Star break, and we will certainly get into the second half with this club. And we're not going to wave any white flags today. We're not going to dun the Mets. Remember, the Mets are not done until they are officially dunned on this show. doesn't matter what the New York Post says, SNY, The Booth. This influential content creator, that influential content creator, the agenda-free dunning of the Mets, here, only here. We promise 4th of July. I don't like to lie to my listeners, and, um, you know, that's the way it's going to go. So what are we doing today? Why no big State of the Union? Why the big tease on Twitter? If, by the way, you didn't hit your rate limit, you know, hopefully you saw my tweet about the farm system. Well, one of the big things since Steve Cohen took over, and you heard it in the clip on the way in, was the state of the Mets farm system from their trading of prospects, drafting, or lack thereof drafting, the way they adhered to slot for so many years for baseball politics, the lack of technology and resources that was required to keep up with the best teams of the league. All those things were true when Steve Cohen took over and made that proclamation that he'd like to win 
a World Series within five years, which he probably will regret because anytime you say honest words or what the goal is and you don't achieve it, everybody throws it at you like a contract. That's another story for another day. But what really is going on with the farm system here with the Mets? And the problem with the minor leagues is all we really have as members of the media, for the most part, and fans is MILB.com, BaseballReference.com, these scouting reports from different prospect sites or these prospect list compilers. Nothing wrong with them. Love them. Our good friend Joe DeMeo over at SNY has been doing it for since he was a young kid for over 20 years. Lots of fun in that. The problem is a lot of the fans, I think, take some of this stuff to be gospel. And a lot of the fans look at stats and don't understand why this is and why that is. And I'll take that on the flip side, myself included. You know, you start to look at numbers. Think back to uh, a guy like Seth Lugo, who was called up, had awful numbers in AAA. That's when the Mets were out in Vegas. ERA over six. What's with this guy? Why are the Mets bringing him up? And sure enough, a, a guy who's a player development guy at the time, Frank Viola, the pitching coach, talked about and has since talked about why Lugo's numbers at that point didn't match what he was seeing from a process standpoint on the mound, mainly because they were in that arid, dry desert, Vegas. And how's that going to work for a professional teams? Is that going to make it look? Is it going to make Colorado look like uh, you know? A, the wind blowing in at Wrigley Field in April? Is that what it's going to happen? But that's, again, another story for another day. So we really don't have a lot of nuance and context to player development. We don't have, maybe some of you do, I know some of the members of the media do, but we really don't have sources. Here's the other thing when it comes to minor league sources. There are tons of agendas. Any executive from any other team, when they talk about on the record, even though they're anonymous, is always going to plant stuff out there to try to drive a market one way or the other. Just like you hear recently, the Mets wanted to trade Max Scherzer. They could only get C prospects. That's just a way to push the market a certain way. And the media is good at pushing markets one way or the other. It's no different than what goes on in finance and banking. Social media has impacts. You saw that recently this year with bank closures to you know what people feel and their behaviors. Even though a lot of times social media is just emotional and reactionary. So that sometimes happens, I think, with the minor league system. I'm not trying to compare minor league prospects to banking, but you get the analogy. Maybe a little corny, but that was what came to my mind. So what I wanted to do is get a real grassroots, somebody that's, that's real, not agenda-driven, not trying to protect his sources, not trying to go out there and promote his guys. Because that's what happens sometimes with prospect writers. They have guys that are... You know, this happens. This has happened to me in my life when I've met those in the business. When somebody's good to you, you sometimes cloud your journalistic integrity or your independence or your balance that you want to bring to whatever the medium of media that you're trying to put out there, writing, radio, whatever. So I really uh, – a good friend of the show has ha- had him on before. It does great work, great grassroots work. Ernest Dove, at Ernest Dove on Twitter – Baseball reporter analyst basically covers the Mets minor leagues out of Port St. Lucie and actually has built up a reputation uh, within the minor league circle as someone who looks under the hood, talks to coaches, talks to not just the top 10 prospects, but prospects within an organization to learn, well, how's it going for you? What are the Mets doing with you? What's your development process? Why are you only playing this and that? Why are these numbers that? And to me, that's the best part about 
talking about prospects is getting that kind of information because, look, quite honestly, especially why I don't get crazy anymore with draft shows, you can read the scouting reports. My opinion, the opinion of the person on the other side is like, you know what? Nobody knows how a player is going to develop. Nobody knows these scouting reports from college or high school, especially high school, how they're going to play out in the big leagues. So what you got to do is get under the hood, and you really don't get under the hood until you get into professional baseball and you start in those backfields of Port St. Lucie. It's truly where it all starts. So sit back. Long conversation I had earlier this weekend with Ernie Dove, Ernest Dove on Twitter, Mets uh, prospect reporter. He calls himself the residential prospect hugger. We'll hug some prospects today. And the reason for this show, as I wrap up here, is we know probably, despite the fact we haven't done the Mets, that the farm system now, because of the age on the team and and the the lesson that we all learned, we were hoping for a little lightning in a bottle where expensive free agents don't always work out. And then once you have them on the roster, you're almost indebted to play them. So if a prospect comes along the way that's better suited, becomes clumsy. You want to have a pipeline of cost-controlled players, even if it's players that could fill out the bullpen, the bench, component offensive players, back into the rotation starters. These are positions that the Mets have failed miserably at with their farm system. They've been able to produce some top-level positional talent. It's been a long time since they produced any kind of top-level pitching talent. At this point, you would take back into the rotation bullpen, not even high leverage. You're not even getting that for the most part. So what's the problem? So we're going to ask Ernie Dove, what's the problem? Does he see a problem? with the Mets minor league system. What's this lab? Does he know anything about this lab that Cohen mentioned? Uh, what about the, the the development? Is there a problem with development? How does analytics play into that? And by the way, you know the names. There's been some names, especially on the pitching side, that have been talked about. But are there names that we're not hearing? What is his opinion of certain names? Are, is there help on the way? Can we start to see some impactful pitching maybe as early as next year? more likely 2025 or 2026, as the Mets move forward. Can they get any kind of impactful prospects within the Verlander-Scherzer window of those contracts? We'll see. So sit back, long conversation with Ernie Dove. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's get into Mets prospects here on the Talking Mets podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Here's the payoff pitch. Swing and a miss. Got him. 11 strikeouts, a new career high for the 22-year-old from Loretto, Tennessee. Two out in the top of the sixth. That matches the most strikeouts by a Cyclone this year. Tyler Stewart did it last Thursday night against Hudson Valley. We're back and joining us. He calls himself the resident prospect hugger. I'll take it. He could be my prospect hugger. You can get him on Twitter at Ernest Dove, baseball reporter, analyst, covers the St. Lucie Mets. One of the guys that I use as a go-to for minor league baseball. You can get him on the sports report. And guys, get this. Mike Silva's not the only one with a sponsor. Ernest Dove has a sponsor, nonfungibletravel.com. So if you're in the market for travel, 
It's a Web3 discount travel club with one NFT you can save on travel bookings around the world with discounts on hotels, flights, car rentals, theme parks, and more. Submit your passport NFT or learn more. You could visit Ernest's uh, sponsor, nonfungibletravel.com. So hopefully I did justice by that. And where are you taking me? Are you taking me to St. Lucie, Ernest? Are you taking me to Europe? Are we going to Japan to recruit Otani? Where are you taking me with that NFT, you know? Well, I just got back from Vegas, so maybe if we can go back there first. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, I have a feeling you're going to become a popular guy on social media because, look, there's a lot of guys, who, and everybody does great stuff on prospects, but you're independent. You cover the minor leagues. You've done some good reporting. You've built up contacts, and you do it in an organic way. And unfortunately, as we head into the July 4th holiday week, the Mets are almost 10 games out of the wild card. I'm not ready to dun them. I'm close. But I think the prospects and the trade deadline is going to be more about, about selling. I think the theme of the Mets going into the offseason, it's all been about free agency and building the roster. I think it's going to be about the farm system. Steve Cohen already addressed it at his press conference. So going in, you know, I think the big question, and maybe this is a loaded question and hard for you to answer, there's debate about how good the Mets farm system is. And I take it as there's the farm system, there's the development. They were ranked earlier this year with Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos on that list, somewhere between 11 and 15, depending on who you talk to. Um, you know, what do you see? How good is this Mets farm system? Is there reason for optimism? Well, that's one of the things that, yeah, I've been talking about for a few years now is that, and I could agree with like, the public kind of stance on this. The Mets for a couple of years now, they've been kind of top heavy with teenagers was kind of my thing. Um, you talk about certain projectable guys. Everyone gets excited. The Mets had top heavy, sexy names that were like 18 to 20. So that's what they kind of had going on. So it seemed like maybe going into last year, they were getting more love, which honestly though, not top five love for a while, but I'm saying they were moving into easily top 10 creeping up in the top 10-ish in the last year or so. So things were trending well, but then again, they were top-heavy. So guess what? Alvarez and Beatty are technically off the list, and now what's going on? Uh, there's been some discussions about what do we do? How do we truly rank certain guys based on like uh, Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos? How do we rate them? Ah, oh, I, I worry about the slow bat. I worry about OBP. So – that's been the consensus now for going into probably like right now, as there's updated rankings lists, they're probably heading outside the top 10. Now they're getting into the middle of the pack, which could be a concern unless you want to get into the newest level of uh, projectable teenagers and kind of DSL guys and kind of the high school picks from last year and kind of overproducing current non top 20 guys. Maybe we can have this discussion at the end of the year. Hey, they're back in the top 10, mainly because of guys no one was talking about uh, at the beginning of the season. Yeah, what I, I see, and it was actually brought up, and I can't remember what writer at the New York Post brought it up this morning, but I've been talking about this for a couple of years. The Mets have done a very good job over the last decade in producing positional players. Look, you got McNeil, you got Alonzo, Kelnick, I know he's in Seattle. Um, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong is a top prospect. We got Alvarez, you got Beatty. On and on and on and on. And they haven't since the Harvey, DeGrom, Mats, Syndergaard, which, let's face it, has some of Omar Manaya's team's uh, components to it. Maybe you disagree. 
they haven't really developed pitching. Look, you have Peterson and McGill, Dunn, Simeon Woods Richardson, um, Flexen. You know, guys, some of them had a cup of coffee and maybe a little bit of success in the big leagues, but they haven't developed pitching. There's talk of a lab now. Why is it that they've been able to? Is it scouting? Is it player development? Is it the, you know, obviously they traded some guys over the course of a couple of years when Brody Van Wagen and Jeff Wilpon were, were running the show. Why do you see the offense being so ahead of the arms when it used to be the other way around with the New York Mets? I mean, that's definitely been interesting. I know I was on social media uh, for the last couple of years. Yeah, during the Brody era, when they traded pretty much everyone they had in the system, not necessarily all the top flight guys, but over a two-year span, you trade 20 minor leaguers, uh, you're, you're getting rid of a lot. I mean, there's hindsight, and everyone can debate me to the end of times about what happened to most of those 20 guys, but those were like 20 assets, which is always scary. I know one of my friends on Twitter talks about you know ranking human beings, but Right. You unload 20 minor leaguers. Uh, it, it changes your entire farm system, regardless of where they're ranked. And as far as the pitching, it is an issue with development. I know in the last couple of years, uh, I was very, very lucky to interview uh, Ricky Meinhold a couple of years ago while he was with the Mets organization. And he was talking about the incredible advancements since Cohen. So I do want to hype and promote and, you know, hype up what's going on with that pitching development overall with the resources. Now, the resources are about a couple of years in. And again, this is an insider guy with Ricky Meinhold, who was part of the organization. So from the minor leagues until the last kind of stint he had at the uh, major league level as an assistant pitching coach. But as far as player development, the resources have been there only for a couple of years. But even Steve Cohen mentioned that. I don't know if he wants to use that. I don't want to use that as more of an excuse. Hey, we just started about this thing of resources. Uh, but yeah, it's all about development. Now, my thing is, again, shout out forever to the amateur scouting staff of the Mets, because one way or another, if you want to go back as far as 10 years, you're going to see countless, countless draft picks reaching the major leagues, which, you know what, uh, that's the point. Now, so this has nothing to do with amateur scouting, in my opinion. Now we're getting into the player development. Now, Speaking with a lot of Mets people over the years, and you know I'm more about the minor league guys, uh, talking more to the minor leaguers themselves, even more than uh, minor league coaching staff, which I do have a little bit of kind of communication with. But when you talk about player development, I know they're extremely excited about the process and the resources. But at the end of the day, straight development-wise, I know certain players in past years were like, hey, can have that high school feel and mentality at times. Based on your ranking, maybe some guys get more attention than others. Other guys are kind of in the backfield trying their best, working hard to get into that group. Uh, Some guys have to shine kind of more on their own. But either way, player development-wise, before this year when everyone was making like peanuts and couldn't even make money, I knew of a lot of minor leaguers. Even a couple of years ago, there was a guy in the Mets' top 20, and he spent the entire offseason like working at like a – clothing store like it's pretty sad that you're ranked in the top 20 and you're spending the entire offseason like working a full-time job Uh, another guy was doing construction so how are you working construction as a pitcher that's awful and you Uh, can hurt hurt yourself you got your back i mean that's literally backbreaking work you know uh it's it's a bigger conversation about minor league salary and the sacrifice that you have to do to make it and i think the other thing listening to you talk Look, I know people were annoyed. You know, I heard Evan Roberts about, you know, Cohen's using the minor league system as an excuse. But it is true. You know, there was criticisms of the Mets 
and how they went about things. They they played the political game with slot for many, many years. We know the Wilpons financial situation. We know that they played favorites with people in positions. But I think the other part, in addition to the resources that Cohen has had to put in to catch up, I think everybody's forgetting about how horrible 2020 was for development with no minor league baseball. I mean, think about those guys you just talked about. They had to go around and basically scrap and find places that were open for a while. They had no organized games. You know, the organization was trying to figure out how to just put a season together. That's a full year development that for an organization, a team like the Mets that already was behind the eight ball, you're adding that. I think that plays into it. Think about who might have been able to help this year with 2020 as a regular developmental year. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you thought? I've been thinking about that a lot. Well, you know, for me, top of my head, the poster child for what you just said is Brett Beatty. Uh, because my thing is he was already it – was, it wasn't necessarily a knock, but it was more of a – not even a critique. But they were saying, hey, Brett Beatty came out as more of an older high school player. So he wasn't one of those kids, 17, 18. He was more in the 19-plus range when he got drafted. And then out of nowhere, he's got no season. So, yeah, from a, from a bat perspective, that's going to be huge. Uh, now, pitching perspective, yeah, again, I knew of guys they are just like going to local parks like you and I would. Like, hey, let's meet up at the park. And yeah. by the way, about eight of the guys happen to be professional baseball players who just live in the city. Uh, that was pretty fascinating and weird. But my, my poster child, one, first and foremost, would be Brett Beatty. And then again, now going to the drafts, the Brody and Jeff kind of drafts, they basically went entire two drafts based on six guys. So that's the thing, yep. too. For player development, you basically draft your entire draft for three guys a year with high, with high overslots, and then you lose a year in one of them. You're, now what are you doing? And you have a lot of guys who are professional athletes, but they were maybe more than half the draft were signed for underslot behind those three guys each year. It's really going to change your entire perspective of the entire draft when you go three and three as all the overslot guys and just fit them in money-wise based on the rest of the draft. And now you're sitting here trying to develop players. Then you had the sad news on Matt Allen that kept kicking in year after year, unfortunately, into this year. He might have been your, not to comp at all, but he was your SP1 guy. Like he's your hopefully future Max or Verlander of sorts to like join a rotation, which by now, 2023, a healthy Matt Allen who never missed a day is probably in the Mets rotation right now. So, yep. uh, which again, Pure 100% speculation based on sure. tools and, you know, but that's what's been going on with the Mets. When you lose this and that, uh, the bats seem to be rising more than the pitching. I don't really know. I, there's There's been injuries, but every team in baseball can point to pitcher injuries over the years in their farm system. So they're producing major league pitchers, but do we call them the guys like in the Gosick, the guys like a Paul Seawald who, who now right. got hot with Seattle yep. for a little bit. You're producing draft picks to majors at a high rate, but everyone's saying, well, where's my this? Or for IFA kids, like, where's my Acuna? Like, where's, where are these guys uh, before Alvarez debuted? Everyone is wondering where are our all-stars uh, beyond the Nimmo, McNeil, and Alonzo now, but where are all the new ones, which we just, Pick those off of a tree. I mean, what are we right. doing? Nimmo took a long time to develop, by the way. Sure. Partially because sure. he seemed to be injured every single minor league season for small stints. So do we blame that on player development or do we blame a guy who kept having weird leg, hamstring, whatever's losing bits and pieces of games throughout mm -hmm. the entire minor leagues and then switching center field to left field back to center? 
I mean, now you're getting into how they structure it, perhaps. Uh, The pitching, they seem to be more conservative than ever. People have been talking to me about this for years. Like, why is this guy pitching one inning? Is he injured? And they they beg for me to find out. Come to find out this wonderful minor league six-game schedule, the guy who pitches the first game, if he happens to come back in five days, which, by the way, they they don't always do, but if he does, they don't want him pitching another five, six innings against the same team. So there's so much going on right now. But player development, I really don't have a great excuse of why they're not. Prom- well, you, know, you actually gave a lot of interesting info. Some of that seems like a, a paralysis through analysis. Now, I am not a player development guy. I know Billy Epler is an analytical guy. Uh, I've been questioning the partnership with Driveline. Eric Yeager's coming in, Driveline guy. I worry about that. Not trying to put you on the spot here, but there's enough information out there. You know, the Philadelphia Phillies situation, situations with Kyle Body in places. I know that he's not part of it directly, but you got driveline here and you brought up Paul Seawald. And I'm trying to think here other than Paul Seawald, who developed after he left the Mets. And I think was maybe misused at times as a reliever going back to when he was up when Terry Collins was the manager who never really managed bullpens well at all. Um, I, ha- I mean, they're not even developing relievers. You know, Nagosik had some flashes. Uh, none of the guys they got when they traded some of their arms like Familia and Addison Reed really worked out. And I look and say, OK, when you develop, absolutely what you say is going to happen. But give me a, a, a reliever for the sixth inning. Give me like Jeff Brigham is a guy you shouldn't have to go out and acquire. You should be able to have a Jeff Brigham, you, you know, maybe Grant Hartwig and Walker and some of the guys you're seeing now. Maybe they're the next wave. I don't know. but. There's nothing, and that's the concerning part is from the pitching perspective, everything has to come of any impact outside the organization, and that's a long time, and it, ha- it makes you wonder, okay, Cohen has taken this thing and, and, and bring, you know, coming in the last three years, but there's been a problem for a while, and you add in 2020, it's almost a perfect storm. Like They have literally produced, outside of helping the Seattle Mariners, no bullpen help. Nothing. I mean, that's hard to do, Ernie. You know, that that's hard to do if you tried, I thought. And plus, too, I, I feel like people have talked about it even on social media and in the sports world the last few years. You have certain organizations, even with the top, top prospects, like their version of not the ground, but like some level of like high end prospects. Some organizations will call them up to be a reliever in their rookie season. It seems like the Mets have never done that for as long as I can remember. Nope. I'm not saying they should do it. Like even with some of the guys right now that are super hot in the organization right now in the minor leagues, even in the upper minors, I'm not saying call them up right now as a reliever, but why are, why can't we have more guys transitioning to reliever? I can name names. I don't want to make guys look bad or good. There's certain minor leaguers we're waiting four years later and they're still kind of off and on inconsistent, kind of struggling at the starter position. And I'm thinking what three, four five years, they're almost a minor league free agent. Why aren't we transitioning them to a reliever? At this point this year, I woke up and it was kind of cool, though. There's two hitters right now that are pitching in the Mets organization this year. But it took them in their fifth, sixth year of minor league kind of eligibility or in in their pros, you know, seasons. Now they're trying out pitching finally in the sixth year. But how about some of these starters that may be struggling mostly with command, which kind of seems like a bad idea, Ernie. But maybe if you're struggling with command, maybe really settle in on specific pitches and just go for it in the bullpen in the upper minors. Or again, if you have a super duper guy, if you have guys we're talking about all year now, like Christian Scott, Dominic Hamill, Mike Vassell, Blade Tidwell, 
what if one of those guys became the Nagosik uh, in his rookie year, uh, eating innings, eating through. Now you have a guy who's a top 10 prospect eating your, those three innings every four days. Uh, would that be something that would look good? Do other organizations like the Cardinals or maybe some other organizations, do they do that? Does it look successful? The Dodgers, one of the best pitchers in baseball, is a guy who was in their pen for a little bit here and there, learning as a young pitcher. Uh, was it Urias? So Urias, yeah. There, you know, it, everyone's going to be different. I'm not saying that solves any problems, but what if, like, what if you have a top 20 starting pitching prospect being Brigham, being Negosic for the rookie season, which again, it's tough on a rookie either way, but now you're sending up a guy, especially depending on some of the names I'm throwing out, when you're throwing 95 to 98, it could be pretty interesting. Tell the kid, hey, you know, throw some 95, 98. But again, there's going to be things with that. Even my friend, I love Steven Nagosik. He came up a couple of years ago throwing 99 to 100, and it wasn't working out. He had to readjust, and he got back into the majors being more of an assortment of pitches. That's why Major League Baseball now, they love relievers throwing three, four pitches. But if you can't command them all at the same time, if they're not right. extremely successful, we have DeGrom, one of the best pitchers we've ever seen, he ends up throwing two pitches most games. So if one of the best guys ever is throwing two, why are you throwing three or four as a reliever? It might be too much. It's overkill in the count, and it's going to get you in trouble in the at-bats. And, and what really concerns me is, and some of it's getting better, but if you look at the – and I'll just name some of the arms that have been on prospect list and talked about. Mike Vazel, Hamill, Tidwell, Tyler Stewart getting some love recently, yeah. Christian Scott, Calvin Ziegler we all have heard about. Uh, there's Leonel Ovales. I think I, I hopefully I said his name right. Some of the walk rates are really ugly, Ernie. I mean, look, walk rates in general are a problem in the sport. And maybe you got onto something there with you're asking to throw four pitches. They can't command two of them, but they feel like in this count, analytics says you got to spin this, do that. At some point, you have to work what you know what makes you successful. And either you're good enough or you're not. Walking four, five, six, um, uh, what is it? Nathan Lavender at one point, uh, uh, what is it, 13 or 10 per nine? Like crazy numbers. And I'm saying to myself, that's a problem. Now, maybe I'm overreacting. I'm not watching them. I'm looking at baseball reference. So there's a lot of context that I don't have, a lot of nuance that I don't have. But I have a problem with it because I'm like, it doesn't look like that's a pitcher that can get big league hitters out. If you're walking minor league hitters at that rate, you're not going to get guys out at the big leagues. Come on, Ernie. He's going to all of a sudden, you're going to get to City Field and that's going to change? It's going to get worse. What, Juan Soto up there, Ronald Lacuna up there? They're going to be afraid to throw anything near the plate. Yeah, it's just uh, – and I know, again, I'll be the minor league guy. I always do this with the excuses. And I know in the minor leagues, things are – it's like a TV show in the minor leagues. That's one of the things I learned in the last few years. Like we talk all day about who's turning in the lineup card. My understanding – there's a head office. They hand down the lineup cards, not only in the majors, but also in the minors. So you wake up one day as the minor league manager, and they tell you where all nine guys are hitting, and you just have to put them there. It's Stratomatic so, Baseball, Ernie. I need to interrupt. I can have yeah. Stratomatic Baseball now, which will pop me a lineup. I could sit there, go click, 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 play a nine-inning game on Stratomatic Baseball, and only decision I have to make is the bullpen and a pinch hitter if I really want with a DH that's even mitigated. It's crazy. But it's crazy you know even that, at least in the minor leagues, they pretty much know in advance what game you're playing in no matter what. So you're getting in, uh, especially at least at least in the low minors. Like today's my day. I don't know what inning, but I'm getting in there. Uh, and I know even during the games, they may have a guy come in there, throw your fastball in the first inning, 
Second inning, throw your change up. Third inning, throw in the curve. They they also structure how and when to throw pitches. I don't think they really care who's hitting uh, in the lineups for the opposing minor league teams. There's so much player development. Now I got to use that term, but right. there's so much going on in the games. It's not necessarily Max Scherzer's up there for six innings pumping strikes. And this is what I'm going to do when I feel like doing it. It's a minor league player. He's the pitcher. Here's what you're doing first, second, third inning. And that's just what you're doing. And I've seen guys come out throwing all fastballs and, Almost all but two of them are fastballs. Maybe they get lit up a little bit. And then the second inning, they're throwing all breaking stuff. And maybe they have bad command in the second inning. And it's like, oh, this guy's walked three batters in the second inning. He's kind of having a bad outing. He was told to throw all breaking stuff. That's a good point. He didn't have good command point. of it during the one inning he was practicing his curveball. Uh, point. That, and then as you go up the levels, uh, there's differences in everything. I had a player tell me, it was kind of overwhelming a bit in the first outing of the AFL in the Arizona Fall League because when you come in, low minors, whatever, you're in the Arizona Fall League, a lot of guys are a little bit more advanced, and now you're trying to do your usual thing, and they have better plate discipline the higher levels you go. So there's just so much to think about. But again, this is no excuse for the Mets player development because at the end of the day, where are the new minor leaguers, the new major leaguers coming from there, especially on the pitching side? As far as the walks, no matter what the excuse, you just you have to produce. That's kind of how it goes. If they say third inning, I want all curveballs, they're going to have to be at least over the strike zone. If you're going to get hit, get hit. But you got to command the pitch when you're developing it. Or if there's two lefties coming up and they say, I want that changeup coming, you got to at least get it in the zone. And I know certain pitchers, oh, Earn, your, your big prospect got rocked yesterday. I have some of the insider intel, not mostly, but sometimes. And it's kind of like, well, I'm pumping strikes. I'm not worried about getting one home run in some wind or whatever. Uh, you're you're practicing what you're doing. So there's ifs and we don't have to worry too much about stats. But like you right. keep saying, though, at the end of the day, where's the, the new relievers and the majors? Why are we calling guys from indie ball? Why do we keep hitting the waiver wire every week, including – now, in past years, it was like, ah, the Will Ponds, they're getting whoever they can. That's minor, that's a minimum wage. But now we have the highest payroll in baseball history, and we're calling guys off of the waiver wire again because we don't have a bunch of top prospects to call up pitching-wise. And I swear, maybe we should go the starter-to-reliever route. doesn't have to be forever, but let's do something to have star-ish studded prospects eat innings rather than the guy from the DFA. And and I think you just pointed out something very interesting that I think a lot of listeners and certainly the Twitterverse or the, the talk radio verse, we we can't play GM anymore the way we used to just based on numbers in the minor leagues. Like we don't know better. What drives me crazy is here you are, you're working hard, you're trying to gain sources, you're trying to you're educating me who's made commentary on the show. And I always say my commentary, look, this is what I feel based on my belief system, how big baseball should be. But I'm recognizing that Billy Epler and Buck Walter and anybody else who's involved in some decision-making has inside baseball that we don't. And you just gave that. You just gave that. We can't look at numbers the same way anymore. You just explained to me why, hey, yeah, those are ugly walk numbers. But if the guy is working on his secondary pitches that he's not good at, Naturally, he's probably going to walk more guys, but maybe that got him forward to step back to get forward. Now, what I'd like to know is, you know, this is going to get more play and I'm sure the Mets aren't going to really give much. But do you know anything about this 
lab that Hefner seems to be up, uh, you know, ahead of. And that's the other thing. I think people realize, I think Jeremy Hefner has a lot of sway in this organization. I don't think he's going anywhere. You know, I, I think that's the thing. Like, fire people, fire this, you know, you know, put Buck aside, put Buck aside. Jeremy Hefner's, in, you know, driveline, Jaegers, these are guys that I think he pretty much brought in from what I understand. So do you know anything about this lab and is Hefner kind of driving the next generation of Mets development to a certain degree? I mean, I, as far as I would still know, this is still pre-Hefner as far as getting all of these things set up. Like these things were already being set up, I'm assuming, even from the offseason or when Cohen took over, the resources were already starting to fly in. Uh, and I know even certain – at the certain affiliates, even down in low A, A ball, like they – when I talk to certain guys, how's it going? Like they're – you can call it the lab or whatever, but they're in there, even hitters. I've had some hitters tell me, hey, you know, I'm – I'm seeing certain things that are being told to me in the analytics about what's going on with this or that. It's been going on even pre-Hefner at the resources have been there, uh, like I was saying with Ricky Meinhold. And it's been going on for a few years. But then also, whether it's hitting coaches, pitching coaches, by the way, I think they have more turnover than I've ever seen. It looks like a fast food joint because there's new people every year. It, it, that also can't be fun either. Even from a few years ago, it was like, hey, how are things going? I'm like, dude, this player development. Even when you get into the physical stuff, now they're doing different things with nutrition or they when, whenever you bring in new people, they have new philosophies. Right, Not everyone has a right. universal thing. So Even you want to fire the GM. You want to fire the GM today because you're mad about the record. Fine. I'll, I'll accept that argument. You're changing the entire organization. You bring someone in new tomorrow. There are a bunch of people that are going to leave. They don't want to work for them. There's a yeah. bunch of new people. There are things they're going to want to do. You've now set back two, three years. Now, maybe there's some infrastructure in place. You've set that back. And that's why I get mad when I see this stuff because I'm like, you're really not understanding how this works. Like, that's why we do – that's why I do this show still because there's a lot of information out there that really – is not exciting, you know, to anybody who's not, you know, who's looking for a hot take situation. They don't want to hear Ernie Dove and Mike Silva talk about secondary pitches in a low, in a low A field. They don't want to hear that, but that's yeah. part of it. And that's where you're at. Now there's a number of arms that are starting to get some, at least in the Twitterverse and our little universe, maybe not nationally, uh, some play, uh -huh. you know, Mike Vazel's one that's maybe the closest struggling a little bit at Syracuse. Dominic Hamill, Blade Tidwell, Tyler Stewart. I see a lot of stuff about him out yeah. in Brooklyn, I believe. Christian Scott, another guy recently. Calvin Ziegler was a, is a big prospect. This Leono Valles is, is, is a guy this name comes up. Um, what do you think about this group? Is there a reason to be excited about one or more of these guys? What do you think? I mean, I do have to say yes because, I mean, that's the biggest stress. We can't compare players. So, where is our new five aces? Let's not do this whole thing with the, the Grom, Noah, Mats, and it. Okay, great. Okay, but not on. Not always have to be on that level or higher or lower. But where is that group now? In a way, we technically have that new group in the upper minors. I've been waiting for this, so I couldn't project pro, uh, project guys so early from the draft. But those are the exciting names that you just named. And by the way, they're now hitting it. They're both. They're all in the upper minors, which was my excitement because again, I'm. I was saying that the Mets are top heavy with teenagers and maybe some new draft picks. Now, some of these guys are pretty darn exciting. I can't say anyone's going to be taking over for Max and Verlander. That's stupid. I just think the Mets have future major league starters right now in the upper minors. Now, even for Mike Vassell, I'm going to defend him. I am who I am. But 
By the way, if I even mentioned on Twitter, you do realize that the baseballs are completely different from double A to triple A. Don't ask. Which, that's why. another thing that drives me crazy about this league that you, you know, you're worried about sticky stuff. You're suspending players for 10 games for sweat. Um, you know, why is it supply chain because of of it's coming from overseas? Is it cheapness? Is it, you know, some kind of higher level thing that we can't understand? Is this the Illuminati that's doing this? It drives me. It drives me insane because baseball is so dumb sometimes. Dumb, dumb, dumb. I mean, remember, this is the same league that used to figure out home field advantage with a coin flip not too long ago because they couldn't book hotels, by the way. And they had to switch every other year who had home field because, oh, we need to know where we're going because we have to book hotels. Because Major League Baseball, this multi-billion dollar industry, can't find hotel rooms. You and I could go on your NFT site and find hotel rooms, <laughs> but Major League Baseball can't. You know, there's a shameless plug. But anyway, yeah. uh, that's a great point. The baseball, I, is a, it's, it's bad for arms. It's bad for player development. This is just not good. I mean, it's very strange. It is strange. I'm like, oh, you know, I lo- oh, I'm so excited, man. You got promoted. Dude, I can't wait to talk to you. And then the next outing, they bomb in their first outing. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I check in, and it's kind of like, yeah, I'm trying my best. Some of these players are incredible. They're already, like, versed in how to talk. They're very humble. And some of the guys are like, I'm trying to figure out the grip. on the- I think the ball is slicker in them. And I guess there's AAA slash majors now. So that's the ball the major leaguers use. I guess AAA also uses it, but it's a little bit different. And you have Mike Vassell, his entire pro career. I swear he has like three walks and like 500 innings. He all of a sudden he's in AAA and he walks like a batter in inning. How? Really? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to use that as an excuse, but that's the other thing too, by the way. You have a pitcher. You promote the pitcher. Oh, and by the way, not, we're going to promote you to the highest level there is. Uh, we're now putting you on a every fifth day schedule, which you've never done in the pros. Uh, sometimes you do it on a fifth day, maybe sometimes in the minor leagues, but not every fifth day like AAA. So now you're going every fifth day starting now, and you have a new baseball that you got to figure out the grip. Now get out there and run it, baby. We love you. Yep. So, I mean, it yep. doesn't. maybe I'm sure there's examples of guys who just were amazing in their first outing, so I can't use that as an excuse. Yep. But I think fans should be excited about Mike Vassell. And again, even if you watch the games or – I don't know. You go on um, Baseball Savant, look at the exit velocities. You'll see probably in his first two outings, nobody is rocking Mike Vassell in those two bad outings. Right. So uh, you could call it the bloops. They count as hits. I, I'm an old school guy anyway. Give me a batting average. So if it drops, it's a hit. So, right. But if you give up three drops that, that dropped in and you had a walk, it is what it is. And then maybe, again, if you're pumping strikes continuously like he was doing all year, some double-A hitter, I had one a few weeks back, some top 20 prospect, just rocked one. He's one of the most home runs in minor leagues. He rocks Vassal for a night with somebody on base. There's your ERA. I just think Mike Vassal is going to be an upper 90s uh, split changeup guy. He pumps strikes. I'm not going to right now overthink two outings with a new ball in AAA. Uh, Blade Tidwell, he's a, probably one of the hardest thrower, uh, throwing starters in the minor league system for the Mets, who's so high ranked. He throws 97, 98, I believe. Uh, they still believe in him very much. As far as he has a high walk rate, he also has opponents hitting 164 against him in June. He's got something going on. The ERA is 1.37 in his four June starts. So he might be turning it around, basically being himself. Talent is going to be talent, hopefully, right? Cream rises to the top. Uh, Dominic Hamill seems a little inconsistent this year. It's kind of great outing, meh outing. 
great outing, meh outing. He's got 61 innings, 80 Ks. He's still striking out everyone all year. Right. Uh, he has two straight quality starts. So obviously neither of these guys are ready, but we're talking about legit prospects, regardless of their ranking. I don't really care. Tidwell and Hamill and Vassal are all really good prospects. And then Christian Scott, I, I think he would have already been ranked anyway in the top 10, but he's a guy, if you look up his minor league stats, he doesn't have much. He keeps pitching a limited amount. He keeps missing time. I think Christian Scott was kind of like a time bomb waiting to go off in a good way. So he's healthy this year. Uh, even some of the, the Mets staff were worried about what's the velo going to be this year now that he's finally healthy. They were hoping it was going to go up in minors. And here he is throwing 97, 98 again. They were like, oh, my God, already? So that's what they've been waiting on on Christian Scott. Uh, no comparing whatsoever, but I did hear the name McGill. Uh, not necessarily saying he's going to have McGill's career, but which can also make sense to me with Tyler McGill, his entire minor league career is limited. So if, if he has a, a McGill projection going up the levels to the majors, I'll take it. As far as a guy, they just wanted him to be healthy and, and like show off who he can be. Now, hopefully you would like to see Christian Scott being, you know, even better and besting or whatever. Christian Scott is a major name that I was hearing about. Because, again, it, they've been waiting on him. And he's ranked in the upper 20s, depending on the website. But he's probably a top 10 guy if he just was playing every year. Uh, so he's going to be pretty excited. Uh, that's why. And Tyler Stewart, I, well, first of all, he's huge. He's a, he's a grown man. So <laughs> I don't even know the height and weight. I think he's over 6'9". He's an absolute monster. Uh, it, I was told that he gets a ton of swings and misses on his slider. Really good two and four seamers. Tyler Stewart is just a monster physically, but also he's just shining from day one in the organization. Now, again, he just showed up last year, barely pitched out of the draft. Do you credit, you know, can you credit the player development for guys like Scott and Stewart? Uh, this is a guy named Eli Ankney. I don't think he's, he's barely given up a run his entire two-year pro career. So, I mean, there's certain guys that are just shining from the day they took the field. Uh, when healthy. So can we credit the Mets organization? I mean, it's going to be a give and take, but I'm just naming a bunch of guys that are at least high A, double A, triple A. They sound like they could help. They sound like you just described a bunch of guys that at some point could be four or five starters, maybe a three. Uh And I'm going to put you a little on the spot. If you don't want to answer it, that's okay. Cause I do want to get to the offense. If you had a bet, you were making a bet right now of one guy that could be in that it's hard to say Verlander and Scherzer, but let's say a one or two, an ace potential. Which one would you put that bet on? Can you answer that question? Oh, I, I don't want to have a bias. Um, I have a bias in my heart for Mike Vassell, but I, I know it's more about Blade Tidwell. So I don't want to just use biases. I, Blade Tidwell, if healthy, at his best, throwing his upper 90s, it kind of seems like that would be the projectable frontline guy. So I don't want to just go against that. I don't want to use anything else. Tyler Stewart, Christian Scott. I mean, they just, Scott's kind of been there, but he just needed to be pure health. Stewart is so new. It's hard to say, like, can they have a rise? I mean, by the way, DeGrom was never really ranked. I mean, he's a guy like, I don't know. He pitches here. His ERA was whatever in the They didn't minors. start paying attention to DeGrom until he hit double A. And, you know, it was Adam Rubin that started talking about DeGrom. And I remember talking to a, a, a Mets reliever that I was friendly with that was on rehab. And he said, yeah, he's good. 
was worried back then about injuries was interesting. I think about a dinner conversation I had recently. I'm like, that was one of the things he said, a little worried about him hurting his arm. And that actually turned out to be prophetic at that point. So do you like any of these kids they got from Anaheim for Escobar? You know, I know they're probably not going to pitch a lot. Uh, One looks like uh, Marceau looks like uh, more of a, uh, of a contact guy back in the rotation, you know, guy, Trevor Williams type. And then you got uh, Coleman Crow, who seems to be a little bit more, uh, you know, I guess potential wise to be a little bit more impactful. Any thoughts on these two kids? I mean, well, I mean, the one, apparently they just moved him to what the player development list, which. Yeah. Which means oh, you're, you're, you're not going to see any time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's. I've tried to ask about what that really means. And it's just, it's not even necessarily a negative thing, but player development list pretty much means we don't have to put you on the IL, but I, we kind of don't have a spot for you in this, on this team. So, or even the one below it. And it's kind of like, at some point we can't put you in the, in the FCL if you're like a double A pitcher. So player development list, and you can kind of, you basically do bullpen sessions, AKA development list. So that's kind of worrisome of sorts, but maybe they can work on certain things. The other guy, I guess at this point, top of my head, it reminds me of the with the the, the Killame trade with uh Estrubal Cabrera. Are we just kind of get an arm, injured or not, but let's mm-hmm. just take our chances yeah. gambling because yep. who are you trading? Like everyone was like, Oh my god, that's all we got. An injured guy and this other guy, he sucks based on his uh, MILB yep. page. I'm like, you just you spent all year saying Escobar sucks and DFA him, and then here you we got, are, you like you something. only got you got, some, got you were about think about it. I actually think and people got mad at me. I'm like, you a guy that was basically had no role on the team anymore, was a backup, you know, was a was a righty compliment to Beatty. That's a whole nother debate. And yeah. now you got two arms for him. Whether they ever land in the top twenty, they're arms. You can't ask for that. Now, I don't want to just monopolize the pitching. That's my bias. Uh-oh. There's a lot of excitement over bats, and you've talked about Jet Williams a lot. Alex Ramirez is starting to get some love. Kevin Parada seems to be, you know, this maybe the catching position. It's not a big deal when he finally gets called up because, you know, the whole new rules catchers are becoming a little bit less important with the catch and throw. Um, You know, we know what Alvarez and Beatty could be. We've seen their struggles. Vientos. And uh, and I'll tell you, Mauricio, you know, my brother was recently uh, watching the the AAA team. And, you know, he's not a scout, but he played some ball. And he said the one thing about Mauricio, just watching him at, at the ballpark, he hits the ball hard. So you got some guys here on the offensive side that, you know, and, the, and Billy Epler talked about it in this past offseason. They were more confident that they could rely on replacements on the offensive side than the pitching, hence some of the moves they made uh, in free agency. But um, there is some reason to be excited on the offensive side. Still, despite the promotions of Alvarez and Beatty and potentially Mauricio Vientos later this year. Well, yeah, even with Mauricio, it, I feel like over the years, uh, the walk rate has gone up a little and the K rate has gone down a little. So when you have a guy who hits the ball as hard as you're also pointing out, so he's destroying the ball and the walk rate is up. K rate is down. It's kind of what you'd like to see, by the way, from a guy who might even hit 20, 30 home runs as a ceiling. This is the greatest thing ever uh, with jet Williams. I, it was one of those things again, box scores. Oh my God. He's a bust. He sucks. He, he's 19 years old. They pushed him to low A. They could have easily put him in that FCL league. So they push him to low A. The guy pretty much walks at least once every single game the entire season so far. So the way I was hearing it is, listen, Jet Williams, you know what? To be honest, 
We wish he was producing more in the box scores, but we love his barrel rate. We love his plate discipline. I, it's probably going to happen sooner or later. And then here we are. He's already starting to hit now. Uh, even in June, he has more walks than strikeouts in June. It's big. That's it was big. going. It was going to happen. Not definitely. I guess whatever. But Jet Williams from day one, he's been seeing the play. And again, player development league. I'm watching games. He's taking. He's one of those guys like a Guillaume, right? He, it took twelve pitches to do something. Like he's he's eating pitches from the leadoff spot, and then maybe they move him to third randomly, and then maybe he's putting. He's showing more other stuff. I think Jet Williams is pretty exciting, and he steals a lot of bases. Uh, there's been concerns about his defense at short. He's also getting time in center field, by the way. I don't. There's no errors in center field so far, uh, so I like the fact that they're giving him a shot in the outfield already. So. I'm pretty excited about Jet Williams. I'm not saying don't worry about the batting average. I know it's 200, whatever. Oh, whatever. I just, I think by the end of the year, his overall slash line might look pretty nice. Uh, And again, that's the things they were doing from the draft. They wanted to get these athletes, which they've done before, but let's get an athlete with a hit tool. And if you can combine those things, even with a Jacob Reimer, I love Jacob Reimer, another teenager in low A, same thing. Guy has insane plate discipline as a 19-year-old. I'll take what I can get. Another guy who was hitting nothing in April or May-ish, and all of a sudden in June, batting average sky rises up because it's kind of like eventually with that type of plate discipline, good things are probably going to happen. Uh, The main thing in low A, by the way, Florida State League, and even some of it in Brooklyn, don't look for power numbers, home runs, forget it. Uh, Pete Alonso can hit some home runs, but – not everyone's going to be hitting home runs in uh, low A or even in Brooklyn. Some of the parks are insane. Florida yep. State League, the weather is awful. It's always hot. There's not really much wind all the time. Uh, it's, don't worry about the power numbers right now. I always love the, the walk rates. And when people tell me about plate discipline, they like to use the term barrel rate. Uh, they're pretty excited about Jet Williams. And I just like Jacob Reimer for the plate discipline. I think the power stuff, hopefully in a couple of years, uh, you wait for it and maybe high A-ish to double A, start seeing the, the power numbers by then. All right. Um, I know that you're a big, uh, you know, prospect guy, but let's talk a little bit about the guys that hit the big leagues. Hmm. Alvarez and Beatty, you know, there's debate about how Buck is handling them. I think he's trying to get them exposed to things like, hey, you're not hitting lefties. The manager's going to sit you. You know, how do you, you know, maybe they're, they're trying to take it in with the veterans. I think there is a point as they fall out of it where maybe that has a reduced um, impact, but Alvarez is struggling a little bit in June. He's earned his way into the lineup. He, he basically was a guy that they weren't sure was going to stick, pushed Tomas Nito out of it. Um, I really don't have an issue right now. How Buck is handling those guys. I worry a little bit about Beatty more so than Alvarez because Beatty, to me, despite a good friend of mine saying, hey, you're going to love this guy. He's going to be your third baseman for a decade. He's just not hitting the ball in the air. He hits a lot of ground balls. He doesn't I mean he hit a home run last, you know, the other night. Um, but I worry a little bit because I've seen a lot of ground balls out of him. You know, Alvarez over the moon impressed with him behind the plate. No, he dropped some pop ups the other night. Um, but the pitchers love hit throwing to him. That streaky, maybe that's who he is. Maybe that's what, you know, somebody told me a long time ago in the Mets minor league system about 15 years ago, Wright and Reyes were good enough to adjust to the league when they found out who they were very quickly and be successful. 
Another guy, Lasting's Village, not so much. He goes, not everybody has it up here. And he pointed between his ears. So we'll see where these guys fall. But what are your thoughts on Alvarez and Beatty? And would you expect to see Vientos and Mauricio later this year? And do you think those guys who are a little bit positionless have a role with this organization? Well, I mean, two-part question, really. Yeah, Yeah, I've been saying for two years now, like, when are the Mets trading Vientos and Mauricio? That's been my thought for two years. Uh, When are you trading them? And what for? Which I guess, by the way, I guess at this point, trade them for pitching uh, seems to be the answer. I, I don't see them in the Mets organization long term. I don't know how else they would fit. I know Mauricio's playing some left field. He's attempting it. That sounds awesome. I I would love. I know there's people that are like, please don't get rid of Mauricio. Uh, if he sky highs with expectations, do not let a guy who might hit 30 home runs go to another team. Uh, it's going to be rough. I don't know where he's going to go. Now, for Alvarez, I did mention, you know, he's probably going to struggle at the beginning, which he did. Uh, now, long term, I don't know how to project things like batting average. I didn't really think he would be. I mean, I made jokes like even from when he was a teenager, I was like, he's probably going to be a ceiling of Mike Piazza, which would just drive everyone insane. And it kind of <laughs> did once in a while. Yeah. I do like the comp ish of sorts as far as just pure power. But. In my heart, maybe. I don't know if he could ever be a 300 bat. I don't even know if he could be a 275 bat. But if you can have an Alvarez with these catching ability that he's showing, and he hits like 240-ish, 250 with 30 home runs, who's going to complain at the catcher position? So I still think to just let's have some patience for the rest of the year. Uh, The batting average, I don't know, whatever. Let's just see what is – home run total is going to be by the end of the year which by the way last year what did they total i don't even seven eight home runs from the catcher position <laughs> he already he's already beaten that in the first half so even on the low end if he hits 20 25 home runs this year after the team had like seven of those last year from that spot that sounds awesome to me for yep. a guy who can catch really well uh he's also 21 years old I, he might blossom in like three years now think about sure. that so uh, play that's discipline. a big good point. There's a lot of development going on with the big league roster right now for a team looking to win. You yeah, know, but, two spots, but that's a lot. That's a but lot. He also, he, Alvarez, my old thing with comps, like learning wise, Alvarez has reminded me of Alonzo from low A. Like the guy is going to be a sponge. He wants to do everything from the ground up. When he was in low A, I, he was literally working on a stance and like how to catch. And now you see him, everyone loves him catching-wise. I don't want a simplistic thing, but he was learning the absolute basics from the low levels, and here's what he's turned himself into in a very, very short time. Uh, I'm, just, I'm excited about that. Now, for Brett Beatty, I, I don't know, ground ball rate, line drive rate, fly ball rate. I, I do think he could still be the future at third base. Uh, they, he seems to be getting the Nimmo and Conforto treatment where he's never going to get to hit lefties for like three years. This whole thing, it hasn't worked before. And here we are now, Gary Cohen, every night on SNY, Nimmo, 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 lefty, lefty, lefty. He's dominating right. him this year. Right. Well, now he is. He didn't even get to play against lefties when he started. Right. When do we stop doing this? I don't know whether it's analytics, whether it's just lefty, lefty. It drives sure. certain people sure. insane. Baby's hit lefties his whole pro career anyway. Either way, uh, he doesn't necessarily like. He's not vocal back against lefties, so why not give the guy his at bats? They're gonna pick and choose the pitcher, really. Now we're gonna just project who's a good lefty and a bad lefty. 
which on any given night, even the Mets, we always joke, they can face an ace and score six runs. They can face a guy off waivers and he shuts them out for six innings. Like just, just play your star studded kind of prospects. Yep. I do. I do see baby still as a starter. I was thinking in my head, he'd be a middle of the order guy. I don't, hopefully, I don't know. Is that going to change? Is he a future six hole? Uh, I don't want to, you know, have the defense concerns me. It's getting better. The mm-hmm. defense still, I mean, that error on Sunday in Philadelphia was brutal, brutal. Well, and I mean, that's the growing pains and you got it. Look, you got to play to get better. Unfortunately, he's asking to play on a team that has been historically bad in June for their, from, the, from their standpoint, uh, was expected to win is not tons of pressure. Uh, it's a negative environment, not like the worst team money can buy negative environment, but from a standpoint of pressure and, Media coverage and fan disappointment is negative. But I think the fans are going to leave him and Alvarez alone. For the most part, they focused on really weird players like Vogelback and Escobar to beat up. Obviously, Buck and Epler now are, are getting the treatment. They haven't really moved on to McNeil, and maybe Marte will start to hear it a little bit. Um, but they're leaving these kids alone, and that's important because I think they're not – You know, the fact that people treated them as saviors was wrong. I said to everybody, Alvarez is not a savior. Neither is Beatty. They got to learn how to, you know, one has to learn how to play defense. The other one has to learn how to catch a veteran staff, a very important position. And, oh, by the way, you're asking him to adapt and adjust to big league pitching, which not easy. They figure out, especially now with video, Ernie. Yeah. All the video. It's not like it was 25 years ago where maybe you could go three months before they figured you out. Now they'll figure out 24 hours later because they're looking at every hole in your swing. You got to give them credit. As much as the Beatty drives me crazy with the ground balls and the defense, you know, I got to remind myself: not everybody's David Wright that just comes up and goes like this. Not everybody's Jose Reyes that it comes up, goes like this. Those guys had some growing pains. Very little, maybe Reyes more than Wright, but that's also borderline Hall of Famers as well. So we forget that Piazza guys like this. Those are anomalies. You know, Pete Alonso's an an anomaly. Pete Alonso he adjusted. Pretty much then, you know, McNeil has had a little bit more adjustment, but that's that's what we forget, I think, sometimes. So, yeah, it's just it's always hard to see what guys are going to do. Or I can make jokes right now defensively about what J.D. Davis has been doing in San Francisco. So, I mean, guys can do different things. Uh, Alec Baum in Philly, uh, mm-hmm. you, there's you can be, you know, a third baseman if you can be a third baseman. Uh, but the hit tool. You got to continue to produce a guy like Alvarez from the catcher spot with what he's doing. Just hit dingers, baby. And you're probably good to go now for Beatty. Yeah. What do we do? Uh, how much more progression or regression? Like what's right. going to be the thing by the end of the year with him? Because even like an Alec Baum, he could be a 300 hitter. So what, what's going to be the thing with Beatty going forward through the year into next year? Uh, because like usually it'll be like, who's behind you, but the guy behind you, people think of Vientos as more of a, uh, a future DH slash one B sure. like so now now what I mean what what do we look I, I have a guy who was a uh, Jose Perosa I love him uh, he's a few months younger than uh, Vientos but I don't know if they anyone sees him as a future third baseman for the New York Mets uh, we I don't outside he's having a pretty good season by the way Jose Perosa but I we don't know if if not Beatty then do you trade him. Do you trade mm-hmm. him and Vientos just get rid of both like you did with uh, Jimenez right. and Rosario and just start completely over with a star at third base? That could be an option with money. Just yeah. get rid of all of them. Uh, get rid of every one of them and just sign stars. But 
obviously that hasn't worked this year. So let's work on player development first and foremost and let them actually face uh, lefties if you're a lefty. That helps. So, Ernie, I, we're wrapping up here. What do you got coming up next? You, you gave us a treasure trove of information uh, at Ernest Dove on Twitter. You guys got to follow him. No agendas, organic, hard work from an independent writer, journalist, sports talk show guy, whatever you want to call him. Uh, what do you got coming up next, Ernie? I mean, obviously, look for me kind of venting or ranting on Twitter. I keep trying to stick to the minor leagues as the team starts to uh, – go in the wrong direction so obviously follow me on twitter uh look out for some more interviews that i can try to do uh for the sports report on sports wire radio my most recent interview was with jake mangum uh who's now with the marlins organization uh that's triple a affiliate i still keep trying to uh, do some of that so look out maybe for some interviews in the in the future i also keep trying to get my writing skills back together uh for maybe even uh max metz uh max metz dot blogspot.com uh, maybe you'll see some articles uh coming up in the future for me mostly i'll probably better stick to the minor leagues man <laughs> because uh venting and it doesn't always really doesn't work, work. On twitter yeah. and it, no. there's always going to be something if you're positive they say dude stop being in the clouds but then if you say certain things negative it's like then don't be a fan you're an idiot yep yeah so, you know you can't what win you can't Let me win. just talk minors uh i'm excited <laughs> Even before we go, Alex Ramirez, his batting average is very low. Stop worrying about it for now. He's 20 years old. His walk rate is a career high. Let Alex Ramirez develop because he could still be an outfielder of the future. So, yeah, the the future is still possible with a few guys for the Mets. So, I don't know, top five, top ten farm systems, but maybe it's on the way. We'll see how the kiddies do. There's some infant baby Mets doing really well in the DSL, FCL, low A. So maybe look out for some of that, and I'll be all over Twitter talking about them constantly like I always do. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for joining me. Be well, and uh, have a great 4th of July, and we'll do this again, all righty? Sounds good, man. And that's Ernest Dove, at Ernest Dove on uh, Twitter. Great minor league content. Like I said the other day when we did the Cohen podcast it's not just about complaining whining speculating we're trying to get real information and i think he gave us a treasure trove of information we're going to take a quick break wrap up i'll make a few comments but i want that to be about you listening and maybe as the weeks go on as we get close to the deadline we'll we'll reference more to that but there was some interesting things he said and i'd like to make a few comments on that you're listening to the talking Mets podcast we'll be back with more right after this The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Talking about this podcast. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ernie Dove. You know, one of the things on this program I tried to do is take reputable, maybe not the biggest names out there, different, I'm trying to think of the right words. I call them luminaries. It's kind of my corny way of doing it, but real interesting individuals that contribute to the Mets experience, whether it be on Twitter, on a blog, 
on a uh, you know site of some sorts, mainstream media site, whatever, and get a chance to have discussions with them because to me, you know, obviously sports is a business, and some people float to the top and some people don't. But in the end, opinions of those who are not necessarily in the mainstream aren't any less valuable. And I think Ernest Dove gave us a lot of valuable information, a lot of insight as to how his interactions with the minor league culture was. And, I mean, look, I, I, it, I totally forgot about the baseballs and the difference in baseballs. That just drives me nuts. I mean, talk about something so simple that's hindering player development. I'm sure Rob Manfred and the baseball powers that be will have some kind of reason. It's probably cost-related or supply chain-related. I'm, I'm guessing maybe the balls that they use at the upper levels, maybe during the, due to COVID, this stuff, materials coming from overseas, maybe materials not being as available for whatever reason. Uh, maybe that's part of it. I'm sure they might cite that. But how can you expect your, whether it's the, best prospect or or the lowest level prospect to be successful when they're using different tools at different levels. I guess maybe part of that is adaptability at the big league uh, level, but I think you're setting people up to fail. It's like you have a football here, and I know that the football sometimes changes from pro to college, right? But, you know, it's not like it's so different, it seems like, or at least it was described to Ernie and I uh, as the jump from double-A to triple-A with the baseball. I think we have to remember, listening to Ernie Dove, what the prior regime left, the chaos, and I keep reiterating that. Multiple managers, multiple front office types. I think that those who listen, when you fire a general manager, you're not just firing that individual. You are firing, essentially, the entire front office. Because people who may be very good at their jobs may only be there for a guy that they know and for uh, an organization that was built with them as part of the inner circle. Once you bring in a new president of baseball operation or GM, especially one that has a different philosophy, you're basically starting over. You can't keep starting over. You can't keep going Alderson and a Van Wagon and then to Porter and to Scott, back to Alderson, then to Billy Upler. You can't keep changing and expect there to be continuous results, especially from a player development process. So, you know, I think that's a really important point. And the Mets are trying to do this by giving you an entertaining product, not destroying it, not trying to market the future, because ultimately fans are going to pay their hard-earned dollar to come out and see a winning club at City Field. Majority of fans do not care about inside baseball, Ernest Dove, Mike Silva talking about it. They can't give a hoot. Tell me when Blade Tidwell is on the mound at City Field and pitching in big ball games. That's when I'll get excited. Majority of fans are like that. Not in our little space in the Mets-verse, but a lot. I think it's interesting how... And I forget this, and I should know this, shame on me, how the process versus the outcome, it's almost like the minor leagues have become labs. Hey, you work on your changeup today, and you'll just throw that in an inning, and the, the hitters know it's coming, so obviously your command might be impacted, your results might be impacted. And you know, I also wonder, and Ernie made, Ernie made a great point, as you try to develop other aspects of an offensive or you know, pitching game, whether it be secondary pitches, adjusting a hitter's, you know, type of swing or swing path, you have to start to ask yourself, can this player be successful with working on the things they're not good at or should you enhance the things they are? Now, if the things that are good at are limited and will not allow them to hit the big leagues, understood. 
but if they're good enough to make the big leagues where they got, maybe enhance what they're good at, see what they could add to their repertoires, but maybe we focus too much on what they're not good at versus what they're good at. That's just a random question. Ernie didn't say that, neither did I, but it's something that came to my mind uh, as I was listening to some of his thoughts on the minor leagues. And then finally, I thought, and the Mets don't really do this. I mean, they didn't even do this with Mats and Syndergaard and DeGrom. The plan was really actually to do it with DeGrom when he first got called up, but then injuries to the rotation put him in uh, out of the bullpen into the rotation. But just like the Dodgers with Urias and Dustin May and Tony Gonzalez to a, to a lesser degree, have these guys spend some time as a swing starter bullpen, maybe like with Trevor Williams, getting big league time, helping the big league team and develop maybe with those shorter bullpen stints. Will they do that with some of these top pitching prospects going forward? Don't know what the Mets' philosophy is. Don't know what Billy Epler's philosophy is. Uh, I'm not sure that this has even been talked about. I think as we get to the back half of the season, and the Mets more than likely, even though we're not dunning them here. Remember, we're not dunning on this program. These are questions that I would hope maybe the mainstream media could ask of Billy Epler when he does speak. And personally, I think as they hire president of baseball operations, I think the plan here is to put Epler more in the backing because he's not a charismatic speaker. He's a very inside baseball speaker. And maybe get someone who is more polished with the media uh, to be that president of baseball operations. A guy like Stearns from Milwaukee certainly fits that. Um, although I haven't, you know, we'll see how we can perform in a market where there is a lot more uh, scrutiny. And that's another conversation. I don't want to get into uh, that conversation today. So, all right, what's next? Sunday night baseball, Mets playing the Giants. Then they go on a little West Coast trip. We'll be back during the All-Star break. So we're going to take, you know, this this show was meant to give you guys something to listen to, start to think about the next phase of the Mets season, which could include the draft, the minor leagues, selling off talent, and get an idea of what's down in the minor league system. Maybe maybe it's not as bad as we think. I mean, not everything came, coming out of this segment was bad. It actually, there was some hope. Maybe we're, because there's a lot of players and pitchers and hitters that are not necessarily ready for prime time, you know, two years away, one year away, that doesn't mean a farm system is impotent. There, there could be some value there. It's just at the very low level, and Ernie had started off the segment talking about that. So something to talk about. We'll be back with the first half recap, looking towards the second half during the All-Star break. I'm looking forward to putting a show together. I'll keep you posted on that. But in the interim, you know, despite the rate limits, I'll be on Twitter. You can get me at Mike Silva Media. You want to send me a note on Instagram, I'm on there here and there. i got to do a better job at Instagram. I, I've kind of dropped the ball on that. But obviously, Mike Silva at podcast.com. No G, you can always get me there. So, all right. want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can check me out, as I said, all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Again, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at podcast.com. No G. Mike Salat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I want to thank the good folks from the Fansided Podcasting Network. And if you're so inclined, you can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your 4th of July holiday. Enjoy your long weekend if you have one. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast to wrap up the first half during the All-Star break. Till then, take care, everybody. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. For the pop.